Did you watch the thing on Trump? Uh, I did. I wasn't going to. And January 6th, and you watched it. Anyway. It was engrossing, wasn't it? It was a lovely production. It was wonderful. What went on January 7th? Nothing, probably. So we'll never know. There'll never be a special on January 7th. Uh, and like the New York Times. Uh, Jan- here. Wow. January 6th hearing cast Trump as instigator. Holy Whoa. <laughs> instigator. That's what mom used to say. <laughs> I don't care who the instigator is. I want it to stop. <laughs> right. That's strong. Strong language from the New York Times calling him an inst- possible instigator. Oh, or a possible they, instigator. They said, well, they said the hearing cast him as. So he's yeah, probably we're, we're, not the instigator. A, so lot, it, a lot of qualifications. It got there. me thinking, and I wrote a little thing called Profile oh. in Carnage, which is the true Donald J. Trump story. Okay. In his defense, although he wanted to, President Trump did not march down and break into the Capitol with them. He merely kept an eye on justice being served with burgers and Cokes on the giant flat screen where Washington crossing the Delaware used to be in the White House. Hmm. Uh, By the way, that painting is now in a place of honor in the Mar-a-Lago lobby. (laughs) Anyway, there's not a Trump judge anywhere that would convict him on that. The Trump defense, in a nutshell, inaction is not action. You cannot commit an inaction. Try it. See? Sure, he didn't lift a finger to stop it. <laughs> but hey, he was jockeying his attention between the peaceful and patriotic Capitol March and the Century PGA Tournament at the Plantation Course in Maui, which should have been at Bedminster in, in New Jersey, his course. Oh. So that's what the so-called missing phone calls were all about. Uh, not about <laughs> this epic, peaceful demonstration, but about <laughs> the slight to New Jersey and Bedminster. Hmm. And he was on the phone for a week after January 6th until his ears were hot and he was on speaker. And nothing has been more misinterpreted than him saying, be there, will be wild, about this upcoming watershed moment in American history. Be there, will be wild. Had Nixon said, be there, will be wild about Woodstock, the crowds (laughs) would have been even larger and his legacy would have been assured. And Trump was spot on when he told the huge crowd, twice the crowd Martin Luther King had, by the way, around the reflecting pool. Republicans are always fighting like a boxer with his hands tied behind his back. Okay, that should have been like boxers, plural, but the fact is that's true. That's why the seats had been empty at Republican boxing matches before Trump. Who wants to see a no-punches-thrown boxing match? Sonny Liston was a Republican boxer. Went down in the first. And nobody, nobody ever, ever mentions that it was President Trump who said, we want to be so respectful of everybody, including bad people. Surpasses anything Martin Luther King said, who never, ever said to be respectful of bad people. Au contraire. Respectful of everybody, including bad people, is the title of President Trump's campaign book for 2024, Profiles in Carnage. Uh, Courage, too. Uh, which author Ted Cruz says will be out by the November elections. And remember, Ted Cruz's mother was close to JFK. Very close. Furthermore, it's just common sense to know you can't take back anything that's been taken from you with weakness. That's why there's nothing remotely inciting, although exciting, yes, about President Trump's profound, you'll never take back our country with weakness. It means be strong in your faith of doing what's only right. It doesn't mean shit on Pelosi's desk or hang Mike Pence, necessarily. 
I mean, who hasn't wanted to hang Mike Pence? It's pretty much everybody's reaction to Pence. I mean, he calls his wife mother. I don't know why. <laughs> Could be a hanging offense. Doesn't mean you'll actually lynch him. I mean, that noose they kept on showing on a flimsy two-by-four, quote, gallows, unquote, uh, would never hold him, let alone mother. Not to put too fine a point on it, I mean, even with Mussolini, a much heavier guy than Pence, they had to hang him from a gas station sign, upside down, Sicilian thing, I guess. <laughs> so those signs are built to last, is what I'm saying. You'll still see standing city service and Sinclair signs all around. I love that dinosaur one. Never mentioned ever by Trump haters is the overarching kindness and caring the beautiful and historic throng showed one another. The helping through smashed windows and the danger of glass. The defensive use of bear spray to free fallen comrades. The reusing of found materials or self-defense protection against armed federales. This was truly Woodstock for patriots. <laughs> What's the so-called worst thing that the president said to his minions? Quote, speaking of the brave senators and congressmen and women, note, and women, maybe we will not be cheering on some of them. But why would you cheer anybody on anywhere for not being brave? Yes, in his many phone calls to Mike Pence, inveighing him to do the right thing, which we've all been inveighed to do, he told him just to make it easier for Mike to do the right thing, Mike, that doesn't take courage. What takes courage is to do nothing. That takes courage. Just the courage, I might add, although the president himself would never, that profile in courage, that number 45 and 47, our president almighty, Donald J. Trump, showed the nation by doing nothing. Thank you, and God bless the United States of Trump. <laughs> I thought it was fair, maybe too fair. Broken line. Too fair. How can we be too, too fair? Too fair. Broken spring. Too fair. Too fair. Broken
Well, I go back now. I'm still trying to make that. Uh, oh, there's chocolate all over my screen. Yeah, chocolate on my screen. I can't take care of that. Maybe if I just uh, yeah, wipe the, the chocolate off my screen. I don't know if it's ever been done before in cinema. It's still okay on me. Yeah. Oh, Honey, I didn't do it. Yeah, this point in my Chantilly, I abandoned all hope of whisking it. I'm blaming it oh. into life. It's supposed when to whisk it into a foam. It's a little like a lawnmower going over. Uh, yeah, we'll come back to it. I think it gets tedious. So uh, I'm not saying that it does. Yeah, <laughs> we'll cut. We'll cut out that part. Notice. Yeah, we'll cut out that part. So anyhow, so that, wow, that, that's the Chantilly, and that'll be later in the show. Something to look forward to. Yeah. Have you tried any no. molecular gastronomical? I don't think so. Gastrointestinal? Not, not not intestinally. What? <laughs> <laughs> You ever been to it? Uh, I ever been to a what? I don't, do we have a place around here in Madison? To or what? Maybe in Middleton would probably have it more than Madison. Gastronomically intestinal place food. Food. Where they, you get, they make the food. They like they'll serve you a steak, but it's actually made out of air. I don't think that's and foam. Possible. No. And it, but they'll charge you this more, the twice the price you'd pay for for oh. a, you know a porterhouse. I have no idea. For a foam porterhouse. Maybe they have such I've a seen place. it on TV. I've never seen As it. As seen on, on TV. Well, it's on 60 Minutes or something, so it must be Really? True. Yeah. They get, you go to a real classy restaurant. Did you ever go to one? No. And they give you a little, the meal's a little thing in the center of the plate there, and you have to put Eat your it? reading glasses on to see what it, you know, it is there. And it's just a little thing in the center, and they put a little over it. Well, this is even more been, so. I've never been to one of those places, no. You have so. No. You've been to good restaurants. I've been You're to a good restaurant. restaurants, but not restaurants like that, where they serve you a little bit of foam and tell you it's meat, and then... On, well, what about on the road? Haven't we... Uh, we've, we've gone to some fantastic restaurants. Where we would serve foam? That we, <laughs> where we ever serve foam? I don't think we're... I don't think so. In no. your dreams... Even in Birmingham, they served us real food, and then they charged us for everything. Through the nose. Yeah. I don't want to go through that again. I can't keep bringing that up. <laughs> and don't never say, does Michael still talk about me again? <laughs> okay, let's let that go. I'm pretty sure she has. Some things you just can't let go. I know. Anything, really, it seems, doesn't it? It does what? Well, as you get older, you, all you do is think about all the stupid things you said and done. Yeah, they, they keep no coming limit, up. You know. Like a bad penny. Yeah. Did you know before chickens were nuggets, according to the New York Times once again, huh? before chickens were nuggets, they were revered. Did you ever see a chicken like this? Like what? This is a uh, red jungle fowl. It looks like a banty. Looks like a banty. Did you have one of these? Cause you, we had... We had yeah. I, you had a banty. Banty chickens, sure. Yeah. Well, that one's a little more See colorful. You, you want to come up and look at it with you? Not you. I'm talking to Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you wear your glasses, Carol? <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone says that. Like, I eat better without my teeth. <laughs> All right. Uh, the or origin of domestic fowl, uh, known as the chicken, commonly known as just the chicken. Right. Maker uh, of nuggets. Is more recent than previously thought, but it may have taken huh. them thousands of years to become food. I guess it was not on their, you know, uh, to-do list. Oh. 
become food, you know. <laughs> chicken, scratch that, you know, wherever they would do. Domesticated chickens are descendants of the red jungle fowl. Mm. Scientists suspect they were first viewed by humans as marvelous and exotic. Mm. Yeah. The real chicken mystery has nothing to do with whether the egg came first, yada, 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 you know. Yeah. Scientists would like to know when, where, and how a bird of the jungle came together with human farmers. Well, what kind of farmers are you going to have? Human farmers. <laughs> well, I don't know. I suppose you could have chimp farmers. The yeah, chimps farm. There go. Is there another animal that farms? Uh, yes. Ants. Yes. Ants. 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 There you go. And, Ant farms. And, I th- and they, they do ants. And they probably do. They, they farm raise, and then they uh, harvest. Have little tiny chickens. So it could have been ant farmers doing this, but yeah. it wasn't. To begin down the path that eventually led to the Popeye's chicken sandwich. This guy has got a draw. I don't know who wrote this. Too many cute references. Per- yeah. The probably more leaves his name off of it. The more bioarchaeologists. There's a job I'd like. <laughs> the what? I wonder if they get along with the evolutionary biologists. Uh, d- uh, delve into the deep past of the chicken. The more complex its history becomes. Well, that's true of all of us, <laughs> not just chickens. Well, I don't know. And the more difficult it is to imagine a time when they were not food. Hmm. For them, too, I bet, at this point. They, not, you know, you know the hens, I don't know. What kind of life do hens have? Just laying yeah. eggs and never hatching any. Oh, that's sad. No, some of them do. They do? Yeah, because yeah, then they need more like chickens, the- and they put the, they put those in this bondage or... Servitude or nuggets. No. It's terrible. I don't think they think about Life of a chicken is not good. But recently, scientists have been reconstructing a past in which the bird's descendants of the... I'm, now I'm sad. I can't go <laughs> on with this frivolous thing anymore. It's terrible. Save the chickens. Oh, great. Yeah. Of the Save red... the chickens. Bring back the... this these. What was the bird that you said? Banties. Well, Bant- bantams. Bantams. Yeah, you, you call them banties. Because you know them. No, that's just you, their you nicknames. You get familiar with them. That's right. What, and what what banties did you have? Uh, ones that looked kind of like that. <laughs> Only less colorful. That was, this is amazingly colorful. I don't know where they, yeah. What but, colors did your banties have? Well, they were multicolored. Or your panties, for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry I had to slip in a little humor because it was getting pretty serious. <laughs> Yeah, chickens and nuggets. Yeah, what I mean, what hmm? what what did, what names did your did yours have names? No, exotic names. No, you don't give them names. You just, they, no, I mean the species or whatever. I I don't know. I suppose they had technically they had different names, but we well, when them. they sell them to you, what? I don't know where they come what? from. No, we're not. We're on again. Yeah, that's good because they don't like you and they're tired of you talking about it. It's definitely. <laughs> So just get off the get off the. <laughs> All right. So where was I? Uh, bioarchaeologists, evolutionary biologists, delve into the deep past of the chicken. The more wow. complex its history becomes, and the more difficult it is to imagine a time when they were not food. But yeah. recently, scientists have been reconstructing <clears throat> a past in which the birds, descendants of the red jungle fowl or banties, yes, or something similar, similar, were first viewed by humans as marvelous and exotic, then sometimes sacrificed to ancient gods. Now, why wow. is that such a common thing to do? I don't I know. I mean, children were marvelous and, and, you know. And they used to sacrifice those? Yeah, so let's, all right. This is so good, <laughs> the gods are going to love throw them this in chicken, the and vol- let's throw in the kid, too. Into the volcano. Yeah, extra. Yeah. Uh, sometimes revered as status symbols. 
Yours oh. were kind of status symbol. Mm-hmm. I bet on the farm there, neighboring farms, say, uh, Lyle and his banties thinks he's so special. No, they don't think like that. Oh, you know what everybody on surrounding farms thought? Well, I'm pretty sure chickens <laughs> were not status symbols. <laughs> Okay. Maybe in the New York Times. I'll, I'll yield on this one. I never had a chicken as a... Status symbol? Pet. <laughs> uh, details of when and where the chicken was domesticated were debatable. Well, what isn't? <laughs> the picture that emerged was one of early domestication 8,000 or more years ago, possibly in huh. China or India or Southeast Asia. Well, this is not well, very that covers a lot of ground. Uh, isn't it? I mean, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but a pair of companion articles released Monday in the journals, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences and Chickens oh and Antiquity, offered an updated origin story, putting the emergency of the domestic chicken closer to 3,500 years ago in what is now Thailand. So actually it's younger of this. Wow. That com- they came after the pyramids. Yeah, 35, we practically. That was practically practic- yesterday. Practically started our show around <laughs> that time. One of those things. You remember the Wad Wad You Know show with that? What's his name? I didn't like him so much. Um, Huh. The reports also propose a... No, I'll try to read like a reader. The reports also propose a new hypothesis for how domestication occurred. I'd like to know how I got domesticated. That would interest me. I'm sorry. We wouldn't say that if we were doing reading. The researchers (laughs) argue that the first archaeological evidence... Pretty good, huh? Doesn't sound like a reader. Of domestic chickens coincides with the advent of rice and millet cultivation in dry fields that attract the jungle fowls, bringing them out of the forest into regular contact with people. Hmm. In combination, the reports make the case for a comprehensive reevaluation of chickens and demonstrate hmm. how wrong our understanding of the time and place of chicken domestication was, well. said Gregor Larson, a specialist in domestication uh, and ancient <laughs> DNA at Oxford University, who was an author on both papers. Well, well you, he should know. If you just read it, it's not at all interesting. I'm really on board with this now. But wait, we're not through with you yet. No? Ladies and gents. Wait, I, let's see if this is still going on here. This is this is my, my trying to use this. How it is foaming up. We're aerating it through the colloidal process. Whoa. Because oil forms... Uh, at W over oil, which is oxygen, O2, times uh, the uh, G yeah. over W. See? And, I really uh, understand. Thank God I didn't use quag because that would be really gross right now. About yeah, they now. said you could use a chocolate or foie gras. That seems uh, yeah, unbelievable. French. It's the French. It's setting up. Yeah, they're French. It's what a, do you think? It is setting up. Okay. Setting up. Watch yeah. this. I can do it. Yeah, no, it's okay. didn't set up. And that is the Chantilly. Yeah, it's just dripping. Uh, chocolate, lace. Chocolate liquid. Did not get aerated and foamed properly. Chantilly, yeah. Chocolate so Chantilly. So it didn't have the... Uh, uh, there's also a, probably other kinds of Chantillys. Oh, this will do for me. What's, what's that ticking? Definitely not. That's me jam- jamming the, the mixer what? back in... Oh, the mixer. See if I could draw up a foam or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wish you could have been there. But, you know, people are probably wondering, what the heck is he talking about now? Tell me about, uh, what is it again? It's called again. What what shall I tell you about? uh, The field of molecular gastronomy. Oh, is that what It's an amazing thing, and I didn't know you had this interest. Have you have? uh, do you cook a lot? No, I cook cook nothing. Okay. 
I do know cooking. So have you tried the molecular nothing? I certainly hope not. Okay. Well, let's, let's hear what it's all about. Well, thanks to the growing, if gaseous, field of molecular gastronomy, mm. it is now possible to live, breathe, and eat science. Mm. Molecular gastronomy, the edible science was the stomach-rumbling first heard by Hungarian-born Oxford physicist Nicholas Curti. Curti hmm. was fond of quoting Jean-Antelme Briand-Savarin, whose Physiologie du goût, that's the goût? Phys physiology of taste. Goût is taste? Yes, in, en français. Oh. Appeared in 1825, two months before he died at age 70. Oh. He said... The discovery of a new dish does more for the happiness of mankind than the discovery of a star. Ah. In terms of utility, it's hard to take a star over a sweet slice of cherry clafouti, which sounds darn near obscene. What is clafouti? Cherry clafouti. It, it's like cherry uh, 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 cobbler. Oh, so you've had clafouti. You tell me you don't No, I've five. seen it on the internet. Oh. Never had it. Really? And what site Never was that? Will. What site was that, I'm wondering? Uh, uh, some cooking site, I'm okay, sure. Sure. Anyways. Kafuti going on. Kurti was famous for complaining that we know more about the atmosphere of Venus than what goes on inside our souffles. True. He said this to a lunch crowd at the Royal Society in 1969, ah. who had just wolfed down their pot au feu to catch every word of Kurti's always amusing building the bomb tales he worked yeah. at on the Manhattan Project. Oh, yeah, yeah. And were instead treated to a barrage of home appliances used in a way Mixmaster never intended, including Curti making meringue with a Hoover vacuum, <laughs> electrocuting bangers on an auto battery, and radar ranging a frozen Florida, a reversed baked Alaska, hot inside, cold outside. <laughs> While successful with foodstuffs and well-choreographed, Curti's groundbreaking repast was greeted with a brief smattering applause and very little sampling. Huh. Well, they had just eaten in the traditional manner. Uh. Molecular gastronomy, perhaps due to its Nazi-like name, <laughs> has not always been the easy sell it is today. After all, not everyone's comfortable with things molecular or beginning with gastro. <laughs> At this point in our journey, definitions might be in order. Huh. To provide them, one could do no better than to source chef and chemist Hervé Tisse, ah. physical chemist on the staff of the Institut National de la Recherche Agronomique. Yeah, that's his book I have. Oh, in Paris. This, his name is. Father of Le Molgas mm -hmm. and of Molecular Gastronomy Exploring the Science of Flavor, also known by the title Casserole et Eprouvette, Saucepans and Test Tubes. Ah, better title. Yes. Is that the book? So that's the book you read. Saucepans and ten. No, I'm saying that I, I had yeah, his book, but they didn't use that title. That's oh, they used it. The, that was the working title. Uh, uh, Saucepans and test tubes. No, you can you can you can find it on on uh, Amazon. Casseroles the Apuvette. Yeah, have you found it? Uh, yes, I saw it on. Well, I, oh, so you have researched this? I, I saw it. Well, of course. Why would I be reading this if I hadn't done any research? Surprising Lyle, we're going to call you from now on. <laughs> For this chef. Again, turning to Briand Savarin, mm -hmm. Meditation 318. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Gastronomy is the intelligent knowledge of whatever concerns man's nourishment. 
by suggesting the best possible sustenance for him uh-huh. using natural history, physics, chemistry, cookery, business, and political economy. Pretty much covers the waterfront. Chef Tis proposes a new article of faith. Whatever, whoever understands the reasons for the results he or she obtains in the kitchen can improve them. Mm-hmm. What if one follows a receipt for making mayonnaise to the letter, but the sauce breaks? Is a hostage? Why are you talking to... in a f- fake this, French accent? This is Chef Tis talking. I'm channeling him. Oh. As a hostage to the receipt, Never one will have no alternative to f- but before. to throw out the offending egg, mustard, and oil. But the cook who understands that mayonnaise is an emotion, a dispersion of oil droplets in water, what will be you? able to save the sauce, not by adding another egg. I can't understand anything you're saying. By now, decanting the oil and once again dispersing it in the watery ingredients. See, I, can you say that in English now? No, if you if you if you run it through Google, it'll it'll come out uh, in some what, way. What, what was the gist of what you just said there? That reasoned analysis, allied with the idea of perfectibility, is what yeah. gives cooking its soul. Reasoned analysis, the idea of perfectibility of your cooking. Yeah, we'll give well, it. That's it, not give possible. It, and then you'll have soul cooking. Oh, apparently, interesting. Bel et bien, but how to proceed? And with what commonly found household objects? Hmm. I might. Very or you might ask. question there. Well, foams are one answer. Yeah, foams. And have been ever since the Nouvelle Cuisine Engouement yeah. first oozed over Europe in the 60s. Yeah, when Nouvelle. foams were first stabilized. Foams were first stabilized in the yeah. 60s. Who knew no. that? Everything, with, so much was going on in the <clears> 60s, <throat> you never think about foams being sta- stabilized. No, well, they used sugar and glycerol. And their drainage was modified by absorbent films ah. containing the very building blocks of life, amino acids, which at the water-air interface have their hydrophilic parts in contact with the water and their hydrophobic parts with ah. the air. They're f- afraid of water, the hydrophobic parts. Yeah, they are. You hear but a lot they, about amino acids, the building blocks of life, and they never say amino acids without throwing in building blocks of life. Well, it's like the horse in a carriage. Cliché. <clears throat> And then they uh, produce uh, air, uh, these parts with the air to produce an increase in the surface area for both, and voila, foams. So the foam comes from the hydro and the hyper. Comes from air and water. Collision. And, uh, uh, trying to mix. Air and water. And as you found out, yeah, it's not easy. No, I, I. This notes that we are all masticators. Masticators. And that mastication is the fate of all cookery. Yeah. Well, enjoyment is not the fate of all mastication. No. That's is wh- mastication eating? Just eating. Or something else, again, that we it shouldn't be. be talking about. Yes. Yes. That's where molecular gastronomy comes in. Mm-hmm. Again, to Chef Chemist Thies. Depending it's on... It's this. No, it's Thies. Okay. If I say so. You do the <laughs> fake French accent, and you got the right... <laughs> Now I'll, I'll here I'll, I'll interpret in Midwestern ease. Thank you. Depending on their physical characteristics, foods need a greater or lesser degree of mastication. The addition of compounds that make saliva more liquid, tannins, for example, have the effect of reducing cohesion. Tannins. Tannins. Mm-hmm. Thus lengthening mastication time to hopefully amplify the eater's pleasure. Oh, isn't that interesting? Here is the reason gourmets... So... Uh, 
or perhaps gourmands, I think he really meant, yeah. drink wine with their meals to How get tannins in their How would, he know? How would you saliva. know what he really meant? He's, he's French, and he uh, obviously is one of them. Uh, n- no, the, in- the uh, translation seems to have gone a little awry there. Oh. I don't think he really meant But this is, this is important now. Yes. Tannins in your saliva. Make the wine taste better. Uh. <laughs> These mastic, but in food too. In food, that's, well, what, that's what we're talking about. Thing is about is putting yes. your tan- your tannins in your tannins saliva. in your wine in your saliva, and mm. it, and it all it goes together and. Uh, these send the molecular gastronomic chefs and cooks off to discover new ways to interpret, ah. which is sticky, gluey, dry, or absorbent in any recipe. Ah. Anyone at all. Anyone. Here, common household appliances come to the fore, brave little toaster-like, to renew languishing ingredients found in every cupboard, some of which, along with key cupboard stuffers, mm-hmm. are... A carbon dioxide source or immersion blender for oh. adding bubbles and making foams. Yeah, I needed that. And maybe you can make your own champagne. Mm-hmm. Liquid nitrogen. Ah. Okay, won't be found in every kitchen. No. But obtainable. <laughs> Flash, freezing, and shattering. An ice cream maker used to make unusual flavors, including yeah. savory. Ah, savory ice cream. The anti-griddle, a cooktop that freezes instead of heats. Cool. The new kitchen must have thermal immersion circulator for sous vide. A decent a food thermo, hydrant. What? Sous vide, you know, without uh, uh, no, no, no. without thermal, anything. Thermal evasion simulator? Yeah, it's uh, you put it in a bag and then you put it in the thing. and uh, See, you know about this. It comes, uh, I, I read it on the, the internet. A decent food hydrator and centrifuge. Yeah. In case you're doing like chemical experiments. That's what I needed, really. A wonder drug, the wonder drug, maltodextrin, ah. which can morph a high-fat liquid into a powder. That's interesting. I bet that would be easier That's, than you chantilly. You put liquids in the powders, you know, so you could... Yeah. Then all due to the maltodextrin. Sky's the limit at that point. A nice assortment of sugar substitutes, enzymes, lecithin, and hydrocolids, hmm. starch... Gelatin and pectin and natural gums for use as thickening agents. And the always handy transglutaminase, also known as meat glue. Or maybe it's glutaminase. Meat glue. Tomato, tomato. Yeah, it certainly sounds better than meat glue. (laughs) (laughs) Familiarity with the art of spherification. A caviar-like effect. Ah. A decent syringe, bien sûr, for injecting unexpected fillings. (laughs) Unexpected by whom? <laughs> Your imagination. You need a decent syringe for those unexpected fillings. Yes, I, I yes. find. Uh, uh. Some nice edible paper huh. made from soybeans and potato starch oh. for use with edible fruit inks in an inkjet printer. Yeah, edible See if ink you can uh, find printer would be nice too. Yeah. And the wide, wide world of aromatic accompaniment gases trapped in a bag. Ah. All Is offered, that what you're talking about? Gas is trapped in a bag? Uh, well, you know, we don't like to talk about those things. All offered, no, And then how, how do you serve that with the meal? You just release the bag while he's eating? I don't she? know. It doesn't. That's not covered here. No. Uh, all offered in a whimsical avant-garde presentation in unusual serviceware. No. <laughs> of course. <laughs> like proof, in a boot. You serve some, yes. Boot or of course, the proof will always be in the pudding or in the mousse. 
Here, as illustrated in a recipe from Chef Camestis, so simple Michael will attempt to make it. Wow. The legendary colloid chocolate chantilly. Chef Tis, looking for colloidal solutions, formulated his famous chocolate chantilly using whipped cream physics. Yeah, o over W plus G goes to G plus O over W, where G is gas, O is oil, W is water. Uh, I believe you suggested that somewhere. I tried to. Uh, voila, an yeah. eggless chocolate mousse. Yeah. And they say you can use foie gras. See? If you don't have chocolate. Yeah. And you live in France. Yeah. And you have fattened geese. How would you have foie gras and not have chocolate? Uh, this is unbelievable. Yeah. Thus, the recipe, chocolate chantilly, serves two for you, one for me. Using, that, that was Chef's joke. That was right in there. It was, it was, it was pretty cute. That's cute. Using complex dispersed systems formalism, place 250 grams, that's eight ounces, of a nice coarsely chopped bittersweet chocolate Did in, it. into a saucepan Did it. with 200 milliliters, that's three-fourths plus one-eighth cup water. Okay, I forgot the water. Oh, dear. Then I remembered later. Oh, boy. Did it. Oh, heat while stirring till melted. Yeah, got, did it. Okay, fill a large bowl with chopped ice. Yeah, there, see, now there's my problem. I didn't have chopped, chopped ice, ice, and I just had ice uh, cubes, and uh, I tried to chop them in my blender, uh, and it really screwed things up. for the, And ruined the blender. Yes. Remove the chocolate water for, that colloid. That was the first roadblock. Remove the chocolate water colloid from the heat and right. pour into a second smaller bowl. Did it. Okay. Immediately set the smaller bowl on top of the ice and whisks like it's going out of style to yeah. aerate the emulsion. Yeah. And then chocolate mousse happens. Yeah. And that's our subject of the week, well, molecular that, gastronomy. I mean, that's all you have? I was just getting that was interested. It. it just has to be well, whipped up you and know, it becomes foam. All right, here's what I came up with. It doesn't seem foamy. It looks it's more like asphalt. Clot. It's a clot of chocolate. Ew. See, that is not a uh, mousse. Chocolate pudding gone bad. Yeah. But I'm going to pass it around here. And uh, anybody who wants to try it, actually... Well, you know why? I cheated a little bit when it was sitting in the sink there and uh, I was still, still beating it over the ice cubes. Yes. You I added put in an egg. Because <laughs> I think all they're trying to do is avoid using an egg for some reason. Moose, anyone? No. Well, it's been sitting in my car for two days since then. <laughs> but, but, would you try it? No, I wouldn't. I think you should. It's very tasty. Yeah, the, the difficult life it had getting I there. Know. I don't know. It was, it was worth a try. And thank you very well, much for turning us on to all that. Who knew there was even such a thing as molecular gastronomy? I didn't know. Hervé Yeah. Well, um, thank you very much, Lyle. And for your French, really came in handy this time. <laughs> Now you need to finish all that, those years that paper that you've been working on for the past seventy years. Yeah, I should. Yeah, what was it in, on again? Your, your your thesis? No, that was in music. In French, I I have my degree in French. Oh, you do? Yeah, that's what I got my bachelor's in. In what? In Fr French? French and in literature. just being French and just being French. Yeah. Yes. What? What? Oh, what, what did you write for that? I didn't have to write anything. It was a bachelor's degree. You just had to oh. get get the, yeah, well, what, do your courses, pass the finals, and yeah. they give you a diploma. Did you, what, what, what did you take away from it? Let's put it that way, uh, from your degree in, in French. Very little. Yeah. 
What did you give to <laughs> it? What did you give a, a petite peu? That's what I carried away from it. Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, never made me a uh, penny. Why you? Why would you take this? It I, is the first place. Who, if you had no interest. Who knows when you're twenty years old? Yeah. You do all kinds of things. You say so. Thanks for coming. Hello, baby. Great audience. Yeah, this is the big bubble. Len, you especially are very good today. Thank you for all your contributors. Kyle, as always, talk to you real soon, baby. Oh, baby, you know what I like. Chantilly lace and a pretty face and a ponytail hanging down wiggle in the walk and a giggle in the talk. Lord! Make the world go round. There ain't nothing in the world like a big-eyed girl to make me act so funny. Make me spend my money. Make me feel real loose like a long-necked goose like a girl. Oh, baby, that's what I like. What's that, baby? But, but... But, oh, honey, but, oh, baby, you know what I like. Chantilly lace and a pretty face and a ponytail hanging down. A wiggle in the walk and a giggle in the talk. Lord, make the world go round, round, round. There ain't nothing in the world like a big-eyed girl to make me act. So funny, make me spend my money, make me feel real loose, like a long neck goose, like a girl. Oh, baby, that's the one I like. What's that, honey? Pick you up at eight, and don't be late. But, baby, I ain't got no money, honey. <laughs> oh, all right, honey, you know what I like. Chantilly lace and a pretty face, ponytail hanging down, a wiggle in the walk and a giggle in the talk. Low, made the world go round. There ain't nothing in the world like a big-eyed girl to make me act so funny. Spend my money, make me feel real loose, like a long-necked goose, like a girl. Oh, baby, that's what I like.